Go Crows, the internet's only small hill podcast. Don't Google that. <laughs> My name is Rye, and with me as always is Dorothy. Hello! And we are back with episodes 11 through 13 of Smallville. We may yet finish season one before the world ends. <laughs> These are long seasons, y'all. Extremely long. My instinct as, as an anime watcher is to call them double core, but they're just... No. They're just normal. This is what TV dramas used to have as an order of 24. I mean, a lot of CW shows still do that. I think they tend to have pretty intense production schedules. That would track. I mean, they are soaps, so... Yeah, essentially. I mean, they don't have soap-level production schedules, which are outrageous. Soap opera actors do not get enough respect for the sheer workhorse stuff they do. Another reason Barbara Crampton is underrated. True. We are always looking for a reason to celebrate Barbara Crampton. And thank you for bringing her up. Uh, this was not a good batch, y'all. The past few episodes of this podcast have been very much characterized by mixed bags, but there was always at least one episode out of three that I would have a good time with in some capacity. Not so these ones. And it's not even in a abysmally bad way mostly that's the best we've got is there's one episode that's so bad that there's at least a lot to talk about and then the other two sort of (laughs) unmemorable exist yeah let's get through the bite-sized plot summaries and go from there hug is sleazy businessman comes to try and muscle in on lex's territory to build a new plant um he wants to do businessman business 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 And it will involve tearing down the Kent's family farm, and that's bad, and he is also a meteor freak. But don't worry, it's taken care of. Because there's also a weird, creepy man in the woods who has his exact same same mutation. Because they were bros. Leech is... Clark finally gets his wish to be a normal kid because Lightning gives his powers to some other kid. Who is played by Sean Ashmore, who... You probably don't recognize, but I think you should, as uh, Jake from Animorphs or Iceman from the Singer X-Men movies. He is just always having to have that conversation of about why don't you just not be a mutant. And, of course, because apparently this is meant to teach us that Clark's parents are good, actually, this kid goes out of control and becomes a danger to himself and people around him, but... It works out. We get the power slap swapped back. Don't worry about it. And the final episode is Kinetic, which is supposed to be a Whitney episode, if only Whitney had been a character before now. And there are, there is a gang of thieves who has been breaking into various rich people's homes because they have kryptonite tattoos that let them phase through walls. And so they are blackmailing Lex Luthor and they try to rope Whitney into their gang but don't worry about it Lex had the upper hand all along so our monsters of the week first of all Bob Rickman that's a name it is the most businessy businessman name in the history of businessmen president business a little bit this has to be the hammiest cold open yet (laughs) he compels a man so an epa guy is like i'm not gonna let you build in smallville because you keep polluting and stuff and bill murray's like this will not stand 
And EPA guys like, and I'm not going to be as easy to bribe as, you know, all those other EPA guys that you've clearly bribed. So Bob Rickman's like, all right, well, you got me there. Handshake. And then commands the man. And, and then Bob Rickman takes an elevator downstairs, but the dude beats him to it. Beats him to the ground floor. Which is just, which sounds grim, but also the the framing of it is so unintentionally comical. He just walks out the door and a thonk. But in the most G-rated television version of a, a suicide ever. The actor is not good at not moving. He is not good at going limp. But also we've just plonked a doll down onto this car. <laughs> And it looks it. So it's very hard to take a horrible thing seriously. His power is that he can control people's minds when he shakes hands with them. Or otherwise touches them. Mm-hmm. Skin to skin. But he, but the easiest way for him to do this is with a handshake. Because that's a socially normalized type of contact. Or was in the before times. Ah, oh, the before times. Now, Smallville is going on two layers of before times now. <laughs> it is truly a cultural artifact. The subtext of this episode is bad. It's very bad. Because as we mentioned in the in the bite-sized summary, there is another dude who was his bro. And this is meant to be our foreshadowing that, oh no, Lex and, and Clark are going to break up their epic bro friendship someday and, and be also, worstest enemies. The way you handle a power is what makes it good or evil. Mm-hmm. This guy handles the power by not doing anything and living in the woods. There's this super unfortunate pull over the whole episode, though. Because the way this, what, number one, the way this power works is he touches you and then you do whatever it is he wants. And then you wake up afterwards with no memory of having consented to any of these actions. But also the subplot with the weird guy in the woods is very unfortunate because the show is just flip-flopping all over with, again, who Clark empathizes with is the good guy. And some of this is robbing Peter to pay Paul because it's about Lana, but there's other stuff we can talk about with in, in Lana's section this week. So yeah, and this what we're about to say isn't really about Lana, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Basically, she falls off her horse and hits her head, and Clark rushes up to find her being crouched over by this guy, and there's this question of did he cause her to did he cause the horse to spook and her to fall? What happened? And everybody, like, around Lana keeps telling Clark that he needs to testify to the police. But Clark is really reluctant to say anything because that could ruin the poor guy's life. And I really empathize with him feeling like a weirdo out in the woods. And basically saying, I didn't see any of that. Even though if all of the other people Lana knows are saying this is a problem, maybe Lana said something to them, but not to you, Clark, because... You're being a douche about it. <laughs> but at the same time, Lana doesn't have any feelings about the matter itself until later on and when it needs to be a conflict that Clark won't side with her. What has become her side by accumulation of evidence. Yeah. And then it does, in fact, turn out that this poor guy is just being accused out of hand because he's just different. But it's very weird to see Clark, like, defending someone accused of assaulting Lana this week because plot says so when literally every other week somebody is trying to assault lana uh-huh <laughs> like just on the balance of evidence in occam's razor you should believe assume. that this dude was a bad guy and did hurt hurt her but fortunately one of clark's powers is that he has plot importance radar 
He just, he didn't do it. But also, there aren't even any consequences, like, in the show. He just goes back to the woods, presumably. I'm sure we'll see him again. No. Oh. This scene also involves the excruciating line, as long as it doesn't involve putting on a suit and doing a lot of flying. (laughs) And we all Because he doesn't want to be business businessman. There's no other joke here. What? He just doesn't want to be a businessman who travels a lot for work. I feel like part of what makes this, I mean, other than the weird subtext that there's a lot to talk about, I do think that the scenes of Rickman and Lex are at least the most interesting to watch. Like, I I didn't zone out during those. Yeah. And I like it when Lex goes up against other evil businessmen because the show forgets that he is evil by default for like a hot second. (laughs) So I'll give it that. Like, at least it achieved camp status during those scenes, which is yeah. basically all I ask from Smallville. And we all like seeing Lex get brainwashed, right? It's Judging by literally 90% of the fan fiction. But then, unfortunately, we go from that into Eep. the next one, which is just discount Clark again some more, except not a-, a man in the woods this time. It's very weird to me that they named the episode Leech, because Leech is an established DC Comics enemy for Superman, but he doesn't work quite like this. Hmm. It's not like a, I'm just gonna take your powers now thing. Granted, it's because of magical lightning. But it it feels super weird to see them using that name at this time while not having the powers work that way at this point in the show. Well, and also Leech implies malignant stealing, whereas it's literally just an accident. Yeah, they Clark saves Eric from jumping off a dam and then they get struck by lightning and then the powers swap. Also for your fuck the Superman mythos counter at home, it does look like the dam from Superman 2. Eric immediately goes to Spider-Man 3. Just puts on the worst jean jacket. Just the worst emo outfit. Mm -hmm. Or leather jacket, excuse me. And starts going around and pestering girls because they should be impressed by how badass he is now because he did a hero. If this were a smarter show, I would give it some credit, some marginal form of credit to the extent of, well, Clark has thought about doing those things before, but the fact that he doesn't act on them is the important thing. Like, you know, anti-toxic masculinity stuff. Everybody has shitty thoughts sometimes, but what's important is what you do with that. But the show is not that smart. So it's just a matter of this is na- this is nurture determines your situation and also we're all fucked. Yeah, because Eric's father is an abusive person, which makes Eric a bad person, is the sum total of his characterization. Is that even if he seems nice, if you have an abusive father, you're going to be a violent, abusive person the minute you have access to power. And there's nothing you can do about that. And also, if you attempt to find a surrogate father figure to teach you to do things right you're also an evil snake like lex your whole life is determined by having a good dad like jonathan kent (laughs) but that's literally what it's saying no it totally is and it i think somewhere along the way somebody realized that this was happening because there are one or two mealy mouth lines about how eric's dad sucks ass but like it doesn't change the overall outcome of the episode and Eric being put away at the end of it. Yeah, like Eric is ultimately the problem to be controlled, not his abusive father. And of Uh, course a weak mother, but... 
Ah, well, it's a shame, isn't it? But I guess there's nothing we can do about it now, is the whole thing. It's very gaze of the 50s. Mm -hmm. It makes it a total... I think that's why it's so boring to watch, because it's such a foregone conclusion that these scenes that are being spent in his house aren't compelling at all, because the writing is so very on the wall. There's no point looking at the nuances of these relationships or looking for good parts or gosh or redemption or chances mm -hmm. because it's it's just a tragedy with the subtlety of a freight train mm -hmm. but a significant number of people see eric having superpowers and that's sort of a pivotal moment for for the town of smallville i think it's hard to tell how much that will affect the show as a whole as he of calls yet. himself superboy he does so that's sort of this pivotal thing where it feels like it should change things, but it doesn't change things all that much. So we can either read that as the whole town already knows about mutations, but just look away, look away. Or the writing just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> it would be too inconvenient to have a building sense that the mask is being ripped off. Like, like later on, people become aware, but it doesn't feel like a build yet well and it's hard to tell just from this batch of episodes because the next one is about chloe so she's already keyed into this stuff so it's a not a good barometer for how much this is effect this has affected the average person who's not paying attention to this stuff apparently not at all huh did you see anybody reacting in the next episode literally the next episode i sure didn't at times, and I have no proof of this, it makes me wonder whether there's almost a Starsky and Hutch level element of, eh, throw some scripts in and we'll stitch them together in any old order. That was kind of something I felt like was happening with a lot of the B-plots and the side characters' plots, was it almost felt like they were rationed a certain amount of stuff that needs to happen for their character arcs over the season, and it was just sort of placed in any episode that was running short to sort of fill up the time. We, we worked out where we want the characters to go this season. And also, here is our bowl of A-plots. Make it happen. Yeah, which is, which is kind of a shame because some episodes are very tight with the A-plot and B-plot, like, mirroring themes on one another. Which is not great writing because it can be a little obvious. But, like, but for it a... it's this type of show. Yeah. And then in others, there's just, this is happening and also this other random thing is happening. Also, and we Clark have to... is giving his, the same level of attention to both. Or is not giving enough attention to the one that he really should be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> Our third villains of the week is tough to talk about because none of them really matter. They are sort of a collective unit. Yeah, they're just bros. You know, some gang bros. Yeah. Um. So it's trying to do something with the theme of, like, guys who never got over their high school glory. But also one of them's Irish. Reasons. But they're criminals hanging out in Smallville. And it real honestly getting tattoos, defiling the temple that is their body. Those are forever, you know. How are those going to look when you're fifty? It is very much that vibe. <laughs> My son's beautiful skin, his lovely shoulder. Y'all, there was this this Guardian article a while back that was wild, where some woman found out her son got a tattoo and just flipped shit her adult <laughs> child her grown son with his own money honestly at best this is a lesser version of the hothead episode Mm-hmm. pretty similar the, it keeps coming up 
like if the show wants to be about jocks and jock problems, I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing. I mean, people liked that one TV show. Ah, uh, yes, the, the, the Friday Night Lights, Lights uh-huh. was it? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, people liked that show, right? It right. was popular. It was a soap about jocks, right? I think so. And like, that's fine if it wants to seriously get into these issues of toxic masculinity and expectations and what happens if you don't make that very narrow window of high school to college on a fundraiser and then or on a scholarship and then you've got four years to plan out your life when everybody's exploiting you and not really teaching you how to save this money like that's that's a perfectly good narrative and honestly they could have done something with Whitney here but Whitney just hasn't been a character up to this point and when he has been a character he's been a shithead yeah, this is Mr. Hate Crime. And then he was, like, in the background, mostly as... Being jealous and controlling of Lana. But, you know, now he has pathos because his dad is ill. Which, fair. I don't even hate that as a narrative turn, except that after we have the scene of Clark finding the pills in his bag a couple episodes, he's been completely off screen again. We just have Lana and Clark talking about him. And we don't really see that much of Whitney before this episode. Yeah. So I don't buy the pain he's going through here because I'm not attached to him. I still mostly see him as hate crime guy. Yeah. And like the actor's doing his best. He really is. He's not being given space to breathe. And he also looks older than anyone in the cast. (laughs) (laughs) Which is totally unfair to him because he's not. He's actually younger. (laughs) Yeah, he's only like 21, which is not high school age, but it's younger than Tom Welling at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, but he looks 35. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you could could legitimately cast this guy anywhere from 25 to 35, and it would be believable. As somebody who had adult face as a teenager, I feel for this guy. (laughs) I had the opposite problem, so. (laughs) This is supposed to be about how Whitney is learning that there is life outside of not getting a college sports scholarship. I still don't understand what happened because Whitney keeps saying he lost his scholarship. But I don't know that much about sports scholarships, but I'm pretty sure that you have to do something drastic to lose them other than just kind of have a hard time. Like, if he lost it, that means he already got it. Like, he was scouted. It was, the paperwork was signed. So it doesn't seem like the kind of thing he could lose just... Because his dad's sick and he's having a hard time at school. I guess it could be that you have to be present for X number of games throughout the season. Maybe, but it seems like the kind of thing you could write for, you know, extenuating circumstances. Uh I'm not saying it's impossible, because again, I don't know, but this feels a little bit like Dan in Reanimator saying, Dean Halsey took away my... (laughs) He himself, by himself, revoked my scholarship. And, like, I don't think that's how that works. I think Dean Halsey just told you that and hoped you would stop coming to classes. That is 100% what he did. <laughs> but in this case, it's like the bad worst thing happened. Right. It's not that he's on thin ice or... Or that they're... Because I think some of them do have morality clauses. Right. But he hasn't done anything to invoke the morality clause that they know of yet. That, that isn't just normal teen boy hazing, like <laughs> what the football boys do every season. Right. <laughs> No, he's been thrown out now for being decent. (laughs) Oh, that's the problem. Oh, oh, I see it now. (laughs) My bad. But But yeah, it feels very plotty. Yeah, this needs to happen so that the plot can happen. So that we can have what is a good episode idea. Like, I'm sure in the writer's room, 
this came up and people and and it was really well thought out but then you put it in the context of the whole season and how much we've seen Whitney and it just doesn't work and that honestly kind of bummed me out I have been liking the jock focused episodes more on this rewatch I have to say because it it seems like they're actually trying to do something dumbly like it's not smart what they're doing But there is almost, because in the last episode when Clark briefly doesn't have powers, there's the scene where he plays basketball with Whitney. And there's this sense in the background of the show about team sports as this bonding experience. And that's a legit theme throughout the show when it does it well. If in a well-written show that would play forward into the formation of the Justice League and how this is Clark finally finding a masculine bonding environment. That he, of people he can't hurt, who will always support him. And who will play and work together with him. But it's Smallville, so our so bad. Like, what are themes? <laughs> Has the Alexander thing come back? No. No. And the other guys in this gang who recruit Whitney are just Whitney's ghosts of Christmas future. Right. And they but have tattoos. This is the kind of loser criminal you're going to devolve into. And you're going to drink a beer one day. You're going to maybe smoke a weed. As though, like, half these farmers aren't growing weed out back. And the performer really is trying to give some depth in the anger of his performance, but the script is not backing him up. There's also a random amputation that everybody shrugs off. Like, one of the guys, while trying to rob Lex's safe, fucks up his phasing and just leaves an arm in there and everybody's just kind of like huh there's an arm in lex's safe that's probably nothing that's a thing that lex luther would do (laughs) they don't even say that which like you'd think if you were like lex luther has an arm in his safe we need to investigate lex luther immediately (laughs) you had a perfect excuse show now you have a good decent excuse (laughs) get get used to lex luther having arms pop up though okay it's a weird theme such a surfeit of arms early on. Oh my god. And also, uh, what's her fuck comes back this episode? The business lady business. Uh, business business. Uh-huh. Um, so that we can degrade to, her. She is there to be degraded and shamed because she is not as smart at, at, at evil sneaky business as we thought. Mm-hmm. In fact, Lex has fooled her and humiliated her in front of her sneaky business father. Yep. How are they British? I don't know. Because that's foreign and evil, I guess. Yes. I mean, it's far from the worst accent they could have gone with. That's true. I'll take it. Yep. <laughs> so I guess the theme across these three episodes is found family, but ha- found, found family sucks. Found family's not good enough. It will not get you through to be a good person. But you know who is a good person is, of course, the heart of the show, which is Lana. <laughs> Oh, guys, I really was trying. I made it a solid half of a season. You were determined not to hate her. I still don't don't hate her, but... Like, at this point, I just feel really bad for the actress having to deliver these lines because (laughs) Lana, especially during the Whitney episode, becomes this mouthpiece for how the writers want you to feel about something and is just beating you over the head for having any question with what the narrative is trying to say and how dare you look at past plotting consistencies. And I think it's notable that when she's doing that mouthpiece stuff, there's like a performance difference. Mm-hmm. Because Kristen Crook can can do sort of sassy and fun. She, she can have a bit of a bite, but whenever she's like doing that, 
her voice gets really feathery and wistful, and she's sort of musing on the universe. Yeah, like, it's noticeable. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if working on Smallville sent her to those acting classes because it's it's a very unworkable script in terms of building a consistent character. Honestly, the most, the, the moment I felt real true annoyance at Lana for the first time was when she's, when Clark brings up, uh, he hate crimed me that one time. It's not that unbelievable that he'd be in a gang. And she's like, oh, you're still mad at him about that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah Lana. <laughs> also, sometimes uh, Clark reacts to Lana's necklace. Oh. Sometimes the meteor freaks cause Clark to react and, and have a tummy ache. Sometimes they don't. You know when they don't? In the handshake episode? Yeah, because we need physical contact to be a thing. And we need to not notice that the spooky guy in the woods has kryptonite powers. <laughs> so that time it doesn't affect Clark, and it's fine. Yep. What, what a consistency. But Lana's other plot is that she feels sad about the movie theater in town closing down. Well, it's been closed down for years. It is a vacant building that her aunt, who has raised her and is trying to put together a college fund for her, has had for years and is presumably paying property taxes and, like, utilities on while it sits vacant. It is a one-screen theater called The Talon. And Lana's beef with, with finding out that her aunt is going to sell it is, but my parents met there. And, like, honey, if that is the only movie theater in town for decades, a lot of dead people met there. Probably even died in the meteor shower, let's be real. Mm-hmm. I, I know that your grief is personal and all, but... It's, but, like, let this whole building stand and rot. It's just not... And it's not a a thing that I had gotten from this character before now. Like, she's very in her grief and clearly has unresolved issues there, but she's never before struck me as a character who was capable of that level of not seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. Well, I would say Lana should go to therapy, but this is a universe where therapy is for crazy people. Oh, right. Crazy people being bad people. Crazy people take pills. I don't take pills. Extremely that vibe. It's like, well, this is the same kind of thing because it's a thing that sad people do, but it doesn't make sense given what we've seen of Lana in the past, or at least as I was reading her. And so it just feels petulant. She should be a goth. <laughs> she super should. Like, okay, you made a rock out of your, your, the rock, you, you made a necklace out of the rock that killed your parents. That's hardcore. And you, you were into your mom's speech and you want to get out of this town. But also you have to keep this monument. Right. You are the character who like speaks truth to people, but we're not playing it as a hypocrisy on your part that you want to keep this building that is possibly financially draining your aunt dry like that would be a, a take on this episode i would i could get behind like is if she realizes <laughs> like my gr it's okay to be sad but it's not okay once you start hurting other people with it that would be a better version of this episode bring me my pen right but she hits upon the perfect plan though ask the rich guy to buy it for her so that it can stay empty and it works out for her. Now, now, she has to build a plan for no, it. First, she tries to just legitimately ask him to buy it for her and let it stay empty. Just legitimately tries to ask him to do nothing with this space, which he is planning to put a parking garage in. And then you Clark's know, you paved like, paradise. So, and then Clark is like, when he has the, uh, the plot ball for a second, Clark is like, maybe he's just challenging you. Which I almost buy because 
it they had like works right they had that good scene together that other episode yeah w- at the cafe mm-hmm. like i almost want to think that this is kind of decent and because michael rosenbaum can act with anybody you know he's got decent chemistry with her where i believe that he like sort of likes her and finds her interesting on, and on also that. he's got a dead mom too so right so you know bonding right so it so then she puts together a business plan for the talent which is going to be a coffee shop and venue for this small town i've worked at places like this yes you have like they're legitimately things that small towns should have to like revitalize their main street area and stuff they're a good thing it's a good small business it's a good business plan and lex is like yeah cool we'll do that and you can be in charge of it high school girl and also your aunt whom you've just volunteered to do this congrats who also who already owns a flower shop and i think a cake decorating business those things are not the same as an entertainment venue no, none of these people know how to do food service. Food service is a whole thing. Don't Who's worry. train the baristas? No, no, no. It'll work out because she's got moxie. It's one of those things where I, f- the vibe I get from Lex about this is he legitimately just wanted her to give him an excuse to save the thing and give it to her. Right. Cause, cause he the- had to have a reason. And tax write-offs are fine. Yeah, but Lex can just- spin anything, but you gotta have something there. Right. <laughs> And there has to be a reason for it to come from you, not from him. Because if it comes from him, why are you even involving this kid? Mm-hmm. What is this nepotism? And then you put it, and then you put a target on her back, and also create unpleasant inconveniences for yourself later. Yep. Why is Lex Luthor the most sympathetic character in this show? What and is better this at shit? And better at superheroing, right? <laughs> shit. <laughs> because as we know. Lex is a bad person. He stole 40 40 cakes. cakes. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) The Lex stuff should be good in these episodes is the thing, because anytime daddy issues come up, that's a Lex He's there. (laughs) He just sort of pops up like a groundhog. What? Did you say dads? (laughs) Have I mentioned that I'm sad about my dad? (laughs) My dad, he doesn't love me. (laughs) But instead, it's just Michael Rosenbaum acting the hell out of scenes that we've seen already yeah just sort of wandering in and being weirdly pleasant to people he's not super pushy or effusive so he's like better modulated around the teenagers in the span of episodes but i think that's because he's not the focus Mm -hmm. but he's more appropriate (laughs) right he's less kind of creepy and the fact that you told me that at some point he hooks up with lana just is hanging over my head like a rotting sword of damocles oh they don't just hook up it's a huge plot but i I like the scene where where chloe was like play acting at hard-nosed reporter and and interviewing him by the way nobody is happy for chloe when she gets her first serious byline in in the town paper clark does not give a shit very mean to chloe honestly because yeah chloe's good in these episodes like as much as allison mack is a shit shit person i actually got to appreciate chloe a little bit this time around but it she feels like a very real teenager who has no idea, like, the level she's playing at. Mm-hmm. But he's he's very sweet to her and, like, lets her ask some hard-nosed reporter questions and and answers them and gives her some stuff to work with. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very adorable. 
it, it's cute and, and not in a patronizing way but in a way where it feels like he's genuinely trying to right it feels like a version of opportunity the, for her of like the lana sequence later and some of the scenes he has with clark when it's not got weird vibes about it. right or, or like what an internship should be mm-hmm. where it's a training environment for you to, to learn how to use these skills. And he's he's using himself as a test dummy for her. And But then we turn around and we have the ha-ha sneaky businessman scene. And it's just <laughs> tired. Yeah. He calls her a prostitute. Which feels like the appropriate word here given the show's Outlook view on, on sex everything. work. Yes. yes. And women in general sex and everything. In general. Sex mm-hmm. in general. Virginity becomes an extremely hot topic. And everybody's virginity status in the main cast, becomes a very hot topic, like, the next couple seasons. Just smack some ears on him. It'll save time for everybody. Right? They find a fucking arm in his safe, and everybody just sort of goes about their business. It does feel kind of like they are doing a test run of, my hey, Michael, play evil, <laughs> when he gets brainwashed. Always fun when he gets brainwashed. It's great. They give him a Tommy a gun. gun. <laughs> He also rescues Clark from from the evil tattoo man. One of the tattoo guys gets crushed to death by a car and we all just move on from that. No, there's no police investigation because that would be inconvenient at this point in time. We just don't talk about it. Yep. If you see something, say nothing. There are so many things in Smallville that would be interesting if the show realized that it was doing them. You could really do some... I would love to see, like, a small-town superhero gothic show. I mean, there are certainly plenty of moments in this run of episodes where they are just ripping off the various gothics. Especially, they they acknowledge that they're ripping off Blair Witch. Yep. Blair Witch isn't gothic. Fair enough. It's horror, but it's not gothic. Not really. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's a small spooky town with secrets, but it's not the same. I mean, would you call Stephen King gothic? No. I guess a couple of his more house-centered books. Most, yeah, mostly this is a wash, and we don't have Sean here this week to point out the deepest lore, but the lore isn't that deep because even I noticed it. (laughs) But aside from Blair Witch, we do also have the, uh... The Atticus Finch thing, which was very funny to me, given the ghost at a Watchmen. <laughs> because Lex compla- compares Clark to Atticus Finch. As he's like this upstanding, <laughs> you know, speaker for justice and the, the downtrod. And somehow Clark at 15 has not been compelled. <laughs> right? I had to read that in like ninth grade. Or even, he's not even watched it. Mm-hmm. Like how? Yeah. Your family doesn't have cable. And I'm over here in 2020 go set a watchman land where right. it's like oh Atticus Finch racist racist old fuck actually he just took the job right it's just a job which he was just lawyering like he was a symbol to his daughter who was young hey uh how many lines has Pete gotten this front of episodes I don't think he had any poor, poor man I don't think Pete was around oh he had a, a couple lines about how uh Clark is being a wimp because he's suddenly complaining about leg cramps. Right, that's right. Which is another thing I found disappointing about the power swap episode is just once I want to see somebody who normally doesn't feel pain or take damage get into that situation where they're suddenly feeling, you know, the 
the thousand <laughs> mortal wounds that flesh is heir to. And people keep telling them to stop being a baby so they, like, legitimately don't realize when something is really wrong and they, like, break a, a limb or something because everybody kept telling me it was nothing. You said it was fine. <laughs> like, I want somebody to have no sense of scale. I'm into that. <laughs> That's not what happens. It's just a, a regular joke about how you, you don't realize the aches and pains. What is there left about these? I mean, the music. That's right. I can't believe that I almost forgot the jukebox. <laughs> Thank God I managed to find the place on the Smallville wiki that did this for me so I don't have to keep tra- half listening to extremely backgrounded tracks. Yeah. The wiki informs me that there are like six songs in Hug. I heard maybe two of them. <laughs> I don't know if there's some rights issues on the Hulu version and I'm not about to break out Dorothy's DVDs to find out. <laughs> But it was, like, stunningly orchestral for most of it. All right. Are you ready? (laughs) So in Hug, we have Let Me Take You There by Sid Dale. Knowing You by Sidney James. What's with all the Sids? Into You by Jennifer Knapp. (laughs) On a Mission by Sucker Pump. Not to be confused. Mistaken ID by Citizen Cope. Slow Down by Wayne. <laughs> have a Nice Day by Stereophonics. The one, the only one that people have heard of in this episode. And Into the Lavender by Ruby Horse. That's right. The most alt-90s. In Leech, we have Fade by Stained. Of course we do. Uh-huh. Elevation, the remix by U2. I had that album. Not because I liked it, but because it was one of, like, four albums I had at that age. Because... I was too much of a coward to shoplift. I had no money. <laughs> and I didn't have a car. <laughs> and if you're not careful and on your toes, U2 albums will just materialize in your house. Uh, U2 albums have begun materializing physically <laughs> inside my house <laughs> since that day. It's a very serious problem. <laughs> you laugh. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear all you Apple users had that issue. <laughs> well, you should, I never did. You I don't know not, what I did wrong. You should not have taken the Apple. <laughs> It's the mark of the beast. This is what you get. Shit. <laughs> All right. Well, we also have Snapperhead by Mark Cherry. And then, please brace yourselves for a name you have not heard in years, I guarantee. Fat Lip by Sum 41. Hell yes. I used to listen to Sum 41. So did I. <laughs> that doesn't make us good people. <laughs> I think that's the opposite. Amplify My Soul by Keith Cohn. Bonecracker by Showcore an amazing band name that I can't believe I've never heard before, and Inflatable by Bush, which I'm pretty sure is also the title of a porn. (laughs) A genre. You're right. I don't want to sell it short. (laughs) And then, that's right, we're not done. I can't believe how much licensed music this show has, and yet it took ten years to get Daria on disc. So these ones are from Kinetic? These are from Kinetic. We have Set It Off by Pod. We have New World uh, Order. It's P.O.D. Excuse it's me. Three. They were a Christian oh, band. I'm learning so much. They did songs like uh, Youth of a Nation. Oh my god. She's reaching for her phone. This is a threat <laughs> for me after we finish recording. We got New World Order by One Side Zero. 1AM by Beautiful Creatures. I Want to Make You Yell by Sucker Pump, who I guess they must have just had an ongoing thing with. <laughs> And Perfect Memory by Remy Zero. So it's a light episode for licensed music on this one. 
<laughs> but you know, good to see Remy Zero getting another song in there. Good for besides somebody save me. Don't worry, they show up at prom. You know what? Good for them. Honestly, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, really, if you're doing the music for a show, you should get to be in at least one episode. I firmly believe this. Mm-hmm. So that years from now, people who are still into your music can go on YouTube and be like, holy shit, it's them. Oh my god, I had no idea. It's like the time I saw um, that saw Nine Inch Nails just in the background of a real bad movie. Uh-huh. Light of Day sure is a film. Don't listen to the, our episode about it. It's not great, but... Uh, it's not as bad as it could be. I mean, the first version of the audio that we ended up losing was really worse. dire. Way worse. Man, Light of Day sure is a movie that has both Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett in it, isn't it? Uh-huh. And Michael McKeon. All right. I think that's enough about these Incredibly Nothing episodes. Please promise me there's something better next time in episodes oh. 14 through 16. We'll see how much she remembers from these incredibly memorable episode titles. Um, oh, goody, 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 yes! I can't tell what kind of joy that is, and that frightens me. Oh my god, yes, next episode is zero. You know what? This is the essence of the show. I don't know what kind of time I'm in for, but Dorothy's going to enjoy putting wow. me through it. Folks who have actually watched Smallville, we're coming up on a good patch. We've, we've got zero and Nicodemus... And Stray. I do remember these episodes with the, with the titles. Apparently extremely strongly. All right. That's... And those are not good titles. <laughs> no, not at all. Thanks so much for joining us, listeners. If you liked this, you can find more Go Crows by going to our SoundCloud and looking for Trash and Treasures, which is the name of our mainline show. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Uh, if you could leave us a rating or review, it would warm our hearts. Uh, it helps people to find us also. You can also email us by going to trashandtreasurespod at gmail.com. We love to get letters. We're also on social media, trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com, or on Twitter, at trashpod. Uh, say hi to us. And we'll give you a shout out on the show. Uh, shout out to at definitely Jeff, who recently invited me to guest on his Digimon uh, podcast uh, at Podigis, I believe. Uh, and as in fact, apparently often confused by our main show, but has been very much enjoying the Smallville stuff. So thank you, Jeff. Yeah, that's nice to hear. <laughs> we hope that we continue to serve that extremely specific niche of somebody who is tormenting their partner <laughs> with Smallville. <laughs> with love. Alright. Until next time, take care of yourselves and go crows! Go crows! Go crows!